0: park
1: Mark! i am working what you need Mark! i don't know what you are trying to tell
0: park. me
2: just be good and i will play with you when i am done You'll go to the park is that what your family does with you and i'll take you to the park i'll buy a pack of tennis balls and we'll go
1: welcome to radical listening the portland podcast where we talk to local artists about their current projects I'm your host, Phil Johnson. And I'm your co-host, Clifton
2: Holtznogle. Today we sat down with Conry McRae and Tom Mounsey of the Found Dog Ribbon Dance, playing at Coho Theater from February 14th to March 7th, 7 p.m. Thursday through Saturday, and 2 p.m. on Sundays. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, a, it was a great conversation. It was a lot of fun, uh, especially since I'm also in the show uh, playing the dog. And uh, so
1: it was, it was fun to sit down with these guys who I've been working with over the last few months to talk about the show. Yeah, it was, it was actually really great to, to be with an entire team of people because I, could, I felt like I was learning a lot about the process of this show. Um, and especially because I just saw it, there were so many things that were still kind of like resonating in my mind that I really just wanted to know how they came about. And I felt like this was a great conversation to get some more clarity on the show itself. And then and, and to have the conversation with the playwright, it felt like we were having a really good uh, holistic conversation about not only the play, but we were also talking about intimacy as it relates to uh, touch and relationships and platonic relationships. And so all of that was really great. Yeah. And it was really cool to talk with Dominic, too, um,
2: seeing as he, he wrote this show and the last show that I was in that Connery also directed, Complex, and to get to like just talk with him a bit because – inhabiting his very strange world has been really interesting lately so um he shed some light on some things that you know i had questions about Mm -hmm. and he he answered them and sometimes you know playwrights are like oh well you know i don't know he's up to you he which you know is a valid answer he 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 tended to have he's like yeah well take away what you want but here this
1: is what i was thinking about
2: and it was really Mm -hmm. cool to hear that
1: so yeah. yeah heads up we did have a small child in the room so you will hear a little bit of murmurs here and there yeah Conry's
2: daughter was watching frozen 2 on her computer and uh yeah but she's adorable as all heck so i think yeah, we'll get over it I have no idea. yeah yeah so now let's go to our interview with tom mounsey and Conry mcrae from the found dog ribbon dance welcome to a radical listening podcast today on the podcast we have the found dog ribbon dance by dominic finocchiaro at coho theater Running from February 14th to March 7th. Um, And we have with us today the director, Conry McRae, and one of the stars of the show, Tom Mounsey. How are you, Tom?
3: I'm doing just fine. Thanks, Clifton.
2: Wonderful. And how are you, Conry?
3: Uh, I'm doing good. Thanks. That's great. We also have another star of the show. Oh, here with us today where oh, oh <laughs> his
0: name
1: is oh, Clifton holtz oh
2: oh 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 that's right i uh, yeah i'm in the show too so uh, it's good to have you with us yeah it's it's good to have me with us too <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um great show guys i just saw it yesterday so i have lots to say but i'm curious um what was this process like for you guys
0: it was long it was long um i mean i, th- I think about it and You know, I started the work on the proposal for this a year ago, last November, Mm -hmm. um, and had been sitting with this play for even longer than that. Um, luckily, you know, most of the pieces came together during the proposal process. So like Tom came aboard, Mm -hmm. um, Beth who plays Norma, uh, came aboard a lot of our, uh, design team as well. Um, and so there weren't a lot of hiccups in there, so I felt fairly stable, Mm -hmm. um, but it's also a play, you know, I tend to gravitate as a director more towards the absurd and the strange, more towards things like complex um, that allow me, uh, you know, if things aren't working quite, quite right, I can just be like, let's get weirder. Mm. Um, whereas with this show, it was more of a, if things aren't working quite right, we have to sit down and talk about emotions Mm um (laughs) I was like oh that makes me really uncomfortable (laughs) um so uh you know during the rehearsal process um it was it was certainly a much more it was much quieter much more down to earth so yeah but um you know once we got into the space and like going through tech and um it actually went Incredibly smoothly, mm-hmm. um, which was which was wonderful because the last process for complex was just like, yeah, uh, every everything everything breaking at all times. <laughs> no. um, so it was it was wonderful and and beautiful once we once we got into the space and sort of put all the elements together. And I feel like our technical the the design team really sort of allowed us to to understand more fully all of the work we had been doing. Hmm. And that's very true. I would agree. It
2: really made a lot of sense getting into here and seeing the world that was built technically from the set to the lighting and all that. It was just in, in the sound living in that world. It, was, it really changed the show a lot. Um, you mentioned Complex, which is another show that Dominic, the playwright, wrote that you directed back in the fall. So how did it come about that you got to do two of these shows at the same time?
0: Um, sure. So I, I was looking for, uh, I took a break from theater when my daughter Vivian was born for about two years. Um, and had been looking at Coho, um, as sort of an opportunity to get back into theater and producing and directing. Um, and so the year before this, so that would have been 2017, 2017. I think I, I reached out to Dominic to see if he would let me pitch Complex to Coho. Um, And we had a lot of conversations about the project and sort of how, um, you know, his ideas about it and my ideas about it and how we could sort of put it together. Um, And we got to the second round of the Coho interviews that year and they decided not to go with it. Um, And so I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll get another year. I'll work on some other things. And then when it came around, it came time to do the proposals. The next year, Dominic reached out to me and said, you know, I had a really great time working with you on the first proposal. Here are some more of my plays. Are you interested in any of these? Um, And I read found dog ribbon dance again. I had read it um, at the same time that I had reread complex and was like, "Ah, I don't really feel like this doesn't speak to me. And then within a year we'd had an election and, sort of turmoil in the world going up another couple of notches, and it really sort of resonated with me a bit more, the loneliness, the Mm -hmm. need for connection, people trying to find ways to heal. Um, And I said, yeah, let's let's do this. Um, And so I pitched it to Coho. Um, This time they said, yes, let's do it. And then within, no, it may have been a couple of days before the second pitch, Dominic said, hey, just so you know, vertigo's looking at complex and I was like oh okay um, he said I'm gonna I'm gonna tell them they should get in touch with you and I was like, oh, okay I don't know how that's gonna work out but um, and I thought and then originally when when they had reached out to him they were interested in doing it during the fertile ground slot and I was like there's no way there's no way I can do that right <laughs> um, so I'll just let that one go I'll focus on found dog. Um, And then about a month later, he said, they're actually looking at it for the first slot. And they got in contact with me and I sat down for an interview. And um, I think it was at the beginning of July, I found out that I would be directing two Dominic Finocchiaro (laughs) shows in one Portland season. Um, (laughs) And yeah, so it it was just complete sort of coincidence that it all worked out that way tom how did you get involved uh in the process
3: well um so i'm also a member of theater vertigo just to yeah get that out there for everybody Mm -hmm. so um we had been looking at complex a couple of years ago but sort of couldn't get things together to make it happen then and then when connery proposed complex to coho he asked me to come on board and I was very excited um, and then, you know, sad that it didn't work out.
0: Right. I really wanted him to be Jeffrey. You know, uh, <laughs>
3: shaved We're head and Jeffrey. everything. Yeah, <laughs> Just full
0: bald, like, get rid of those eyebrows. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Which... Um, and then uh, Connery reached out to me when he was doing the proposal for this show, for Found Dog Rhythm Dance and I read it and I... It was the first time for me, but I... I'm maybe a little more sappy than Connery is, so I immediately fell in love with this sort of sweet but also sad story. And, uh, Mm. yeah, I just said yes.
1: I really liked the conversation that we had at the talkback yesterday about um, this being a durational piece. Mm -hmm. And Dominic mentioned that he hadn't thought about it that way, but it definitely, you know, when I was watching, felt like there were moments that felt like we were... we were meant to sit in and be with them. And I wondered if that came from you.
0: Um, yeah, I, you know, as a director, I sometimes uh, punish is the wrong word, but um, I, I think about ways in which I can make the audience uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, because it is, it's important to me in theater, the fact that we are this close and the fact that people, um, you know, are, that there is this interaction like that's that's what makes this different from film that's what makes it different from television um is that there are these people sitting right there watching you and with complex there was this um i was interested in trying to figure out like can we actually scare the audience with something um or can we make them feel just really uncomfortable um and so with this when i started looking at it i was like oh we have these cuddling moments which are just like people being still and silent and breathing and how I know personally as an audience member that makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but that to sit in there and to to have people sort of be forced to sit in there and think about why it makes them uncomfortable. Um, and we had, there were other things that we had tried to do technically. Um, we were going to get the bed mic so that we would like hear the breathing and hear people rustling. And that didn't really work out. And I think just sitting and watching people be still every little moment, anytime a hand moves somewhere, some uh, somebody takes a deep breath, it becomes so much more noticeable um, if we're in silence and if we've been sitting there for a while. Uh, yeah, I noticed that a lot
2: last night, yesterday specifically during the matinee, because um, I'm, I'm sitting there for those silences, and I noticed when. It, we, we, you know, it was during one of the cuddling sequences and there's this long period of stillness and then someone on on stage on the bed like moved slightly and like everyone else like just shifted a little bit mm-hmm. because the tension had been broken on stage so, like if i move everyone's gonna look at me yeah. you know what i mean and then and then there was a small shift on stage and like half the audience moved <laughs> it was so cool that is cool. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and one of one of the there was an article that came out um Probably about a year before I did the proposal, talking about how they had done some research in uh, at the National Theatre, I think in London, about how the audience in a theatre, their breathing and their heartbeat and their sort of internal rhythm syncs up over the course Mm -hmm. of a play, Um, and so that was something as well of sitting in these silences and sitting in this. Can we have the audience? sync up with the people on stage in that same way in those silences and that was something i was really interested in trying to uh figure out if it was possible
1: yeah something else that uh dominic had something really interesting to say about was the um the dance itself oh sure and so i wanted to know for you um actually what i'm curious is did you ever find yourself like practicing the dance at home like did you ever did you ever have an opportunity to just enjoy the dance outside of practicing it for the play because it seems like one of those things that you can kind of take with you
3: yeah yeah um i would say that all of my practicing of the dances was me enjoying the dances really sure um (laughs) uh, but yeah we we sort of took a i'd say a fairly loose approach to um planning and choreographing those dances so we sort of i would dance on my own at home and kind of experience the ribbons and have fun and you know fall in love with Whitney Houston all over again yeah and then get together and go through them and sort of find the pieces that we want to make sure to keep in and uh, Connery did some some nice choreography for me uh, but uh, so
1: there there was some choreography involved oh for sure yeah yeah okay I want yeah. I wanted to know how much it was like were there pieces that were locked in? Were there pieces that you got to improv every night? Um,
3: yeah, so I, for the, I don't want to give away what the dances are, I'll just call them the first and second dance. Sure. Um, in the in the first dance, there's more sort of locked down choreography, which I think probably you can tell when you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of the, the pieces that aren't consistently repeated are improvised in between. And then in the second one, we mainly came up with sort of a, I'd say, a story for the dance, a sort of structure to how it flows, and it's almost entirely improvised within that. Mm. That's great. Yeah. So I got a lot of freedom to express Norm's feelings, and, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I, I love doing it.
2: Did did you look up any, like, technique or specific moves? Because I noticed there's some things you do that, like, keep the ribbon in the air when you're dancing. Like, oh, that's cool. Like, the kind of down and over and up and around or whatever...
3: Uh, Thank you. Yeah. So uh, I had a sort of weird story. I shared this with Connery. I watched this movie called uh, Climax. Climax, Thank you. (laughs) Um, Which is about a bunch of dancers. And there's just like, they do a dance and one person gets out a ribbon and starts ribbon dancing to sort of, you know, Euro disco kind (laughs) of Euro dance uh, stuff. And I saw that and I thought, I had I'd, before that I'd been looking at sort of traditional ribbon dancing mm-hmm. and been thinking I'm never going to be able to do this properly um, and getting a little nervous as I think maybe you were too <laughs> and um, I saw this movie randomly and I thought oh no that's that's what I need just like regular sort of dancing the way I would dance normally and you add the ribbon and <laughs> What I did decide for myself, and I, this was based on nothing, mm-hmm. but I, I like that you mentioned it, Clifton. I, I decided, if possible, why would I ever let the ribbon touch the floor? Mm-hmm. It's right. like, it's my dance partner. And when the ribbon is moving in the air, it looks alive. It looks yeah. like this creature. The second it hits the ground, it, it's like dead. It's like a puppet with no one yeah. manipulating right. it. Um, and so that became sort of important to me. but that most of the moves were things, honestly, I would be sitting working and sort of daydreaming about how the ribbon moves (laughs) through the air, and then I would just try to do it.
2: Oh, great. That's so cool. It's beautiful. It's such a cool way... follows itself around yeah it's it's so captivating like anyone who picks one up is just like oh Mm -hmm. wow this is incredible (laughs) i know we should should all be doing it yeah i really agree
0: there's a whole box back there if you guys need to need to bust those out
1: (laughs) we'll we'll do do a ribbon dance together after the show
0: nice uh one of the things it's interesting about duration uh, i had certainly been thinking about that with the cuddling moments but it wasn't until we actually started working with the songs in choreography that i was like each one of these songs is also like five minutes long. So there is this durational aspect of like how long can we, I was always just like, oh, it's Whitney Houston. They're like, I'm sure they're three and a half minutes and they go by really quick. And then I started listening and I was like, oh no, this thing repeats like five times. Mm -hmm. um, And we just got to keep going with it, which works really well for the second song. Um, But we actually had to do some, some we surgery, need, like, build up, yeah. You know? Oh yeah, <laughs> she does like three key changes. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was also that that sort of duration of those songs, and one of the things I think it was Beth mentioned early on um, that that informed both the the ribbon dancing and the cuddles is Dominic's sort of love of spectacle. Mm. Um, And especially with Complex, like their bleeding appliances and like people getting ripped apart and karaoke scenes. And you're just like, and the (laughs) idea that cuddling itself could be a spectacle, that the Mm. ribbon dances could be a spectacle in that same way. Um, And so that was really that was sort of eye opening for me before we got started on the process.
1: You know, I, I thought a lot about the intimacy um, of this piece and how in the program you have an intimacy coordinator. (laughs) And so I was really curious about that process because it seems like of any show, an intimacy coordinator would be very important for a show like this. So yeah, I was really interested in the intimacy of this piece and I wanted to know um, what was the process of developing intimacy between the characters? Um, Because everyone who cuddles, uh, cuddles a little bit differently. And I want to know, you know, how did you arrive at each, you know, physicality and and what was it like working with putting bodies
0: so close together for such long periods of time? Um, well, our our intimacy coordinator uh, or listed as an intimacy coordinator in the Sam Dinkowitz uh Actually came in and mostly just helped with the fights, mm-hmm. um, and I had a long conversation with Beth early on in the process about whether or not we wanted to bring in someone to help with um, the cuddling itself mm-hmm. um, and to be present for that. Um, and she had had uh, she had, had different experiences um, over the course of uh, her. Um, work of times in which intimacy coordinators have come in and been very helpful and times in which intimacy coordinators have come in and sort of stymied the process um, and we didn't we didn't really have someone in mind one of the the few people who was doing the work at that time had just recently left portland doing um, the work
2: meaning being
0: being an intimacy, intimacy coordinator, coordinator yeah. um allan
3: oh yeah we did yeah. have her in mind yeah. initially Alwyn Acardi, but yeah she moved away
0: mm-hmm. and so um, but, uh, and so in talking with Beth, we decided that we would, uh, and the fact that she was, she knew most of the actors and had relationships with them and felt very comfortable sort of moving forward without, uh, having that person on staff. <laughs> um, so, so we actually met with uh samantha hess who runs cuddle up to me and we had a long conversation with her sort of about the work and about um the ways in which the work was done and then she gave us uh copies of her book which the back half of um has multiple different cuddling positions and so that was sort of our bible as we worked of like sitting with the actors and looking at looking at them and saying you know what does this say and how how does what is this how does this comment on the relationship between these two characters um, there's really only one and it's uh, the first scene with Dave in which Dominic's writing really like specifies how the cuddle happens because she asks whether or not he wants to be Big or little spoon and mm-hmm. um, but from but after that, it was a lot of, like, let's get into a position and then figure out how we can open it up so the audience can see it. Um, and so it came across really organically. And luckily, we had um, all of our actors were very sort of comfortable. We were like, So today for rehearsal, we're just going to be lying in bed. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh, that sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we didn't we didn't really come up with any we didn't really come up against any difficulties with that, um, and luckily, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to go with Beth is just that she has such a good control and knowledge of her body that I felt comfortable having her sort of lead those moments as well.
1: How was it for you, um, being in the cuddling sequences or in a couple of them?
3: Uh, yeah, so it's it's a little different for my character Norm in that. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a client. You're not a patient. Of Norma's, yeah. yeah. So um, that cuddling that we do is, I guess, more romantic.
1: Um, Is there a difference when you're an actor? I'm curious. Because it's all choreography.
3: Yeah, it is. Is there a difference? I suppose yes and no. It is all choreography. So when it sort of comes down to it, you're just doing the movements or holding the positions or whatever that you're choreographed to do. But of course, you know, acting's a weird thing. You're, mm-hmm. you're also trying to live in the sort of emotional truth of the character you're playing. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes different because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and
2: yeah. also I can see how um, cuddling with someone in a romantic way is something we're more familiar with yeah, than most likely than, than being a cuddling client you know, and for a lot of those characters, they're, they're coming from their own places with their own baggage and then like yeah. coming to lie down with someone, which is a very different experience right. than something less known than the comfortability of, you know, lying down with someone in bed or mm-hmm. something.
3: Yeah. So I think in, in many ways, because of that, it was sort of more relaxed and comfortable for me, uh, even when it's all three of us.
1: Right.
2: Yes. <laughs> you know,
3: um, and it's so interesting.
1: Uh, it- just because that image of all three of you cuddling together just read so innocent. Yeah. But It
2: always gets a laugh, too. It yeah. does. And it, I didn't expect that. It's Neither nice, but, but I didn't expect it. If you it. take
1: away the context, it could be a totally different situation. Oh, right. Could.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely.
3: <laughs> oh, but yes, uh, Beth and I have known each other for like a decade as well. So that also helps. We're very comfortable. Yeah,
0: yeah. This is your your third onstage rela- romance, is that correct? I think that sounds right, yeah. Okay. So
1: the other thing that Dominic had a lot to talk about was the process of developing dog. And so I am curious for you, what was your angle Clifton to uh, approaching dog? And I'm curious how you worked with, you know, the entire crew cast and crew to, to develop that character. And what was the direction that you gave him?
2: Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's a good question. It's, It's really interesting. I mean, the dog is written to say the word bark and is written to have a a shirt that says dog on it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Vivian. It's weird. Right. And so um, it almost, when I first read it, it almost comes off as like ironic, you know what I mean? And kind of tongue in cheek, but it became apparent very quickly that that just was not a direction you can go with that because it, it just dies immediately. You know, there's nothing there. And, um, you can get a few like cynical chuckles out of it, but that's about as far as it goes. And then, um, and then dogs are just not ironic. No, you know what I mean? There's nothing ironic about a dog. They're completely just there and present. And so it was really about learning about the presence and, um, being there. And, um, yeah, so it was, and, and, and listening and, and Connery, made the decision to have me visible to the audience um, in times in the script where I'm off stage according to the script. And so it was very interesting to just be there for the first three quarters of the show and just listen. And for me it was it was a lot about uh, thinking about how dogs can really pick up on behavior and feeling and emotion and the way people are talking and pick up a few words but not – understand language per se right you know so it was i i was doing a lot to listen for feeling rather than words which was which is a really cool practice and um yeah so I, I think there was a lot of that and just walking that line between dogs and humans and um like what is the human version of dog traits like what is it for a human to wag their tail? What is it for a human to, yeah, smell something the way it did? Like, how how does a dog live through a human's body, I guess, is how Mm -hmm. I was looking at it. If a dog suddenly woke up in a human's body, how would would that dog behave? And that was kind of what I was going for.
1: I saw a lot of that, and it was really interesting because the personification was really clear, and there were moments where I felt like I learned – about the experience of dogs through that personification, for instance, when you throw the ball away from the dog, right. you kind of gave us this like, "Come on, dude!" Like, <laughs> and that was great because it's like dogs are like, "Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know." Yeah. It, it, it was really, it was really interesting to experience, especially a character that has no text, and so it's all physical. And so we yeah. have we're, the way we're let into that character is all through your physicality. And so everything has to be much more clear in that And way.
2: honestly, I had no idea where to start. Like, Because, you know, a lot of times when you get a script early on, you're like, well, I can learn the lines. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's how you access what's happening. And it, I just, I haven't played a role like this before. So I, I I just couldn't even imagine where to begin. You know, I read through it several times. I was like, well, we'll start this show when we start and <laughs> then I'll be there. And then it was like, oh, mm-hmm. man, I'm in mean, over my head. I was just like. Had to really start, but it was really about being there. And I don't know how much, I mean, knowing what I know now, if another character came up like this again, maybe I'd have some idea where to start. But like, you know, um, it really was about yeah. the process and being there and interacting with the people and um, doing a little research on what dogs want. <laughs> um, because that was one of the things was like, it, you know, a couple weeks, I'm like, well, what's the motivation? What's the, what's the motivation here? Like with anyone and dogs' motivations are fairly simple. And so that was both a gift and a curse in, in the same <laughs> sense, you know, of like mm-hmm. I, the, the big one that stuck out to me when I looked up, you know, dog psychology was stability and yeah. the, 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 the need and the desire for stability and acceptance. And so being shut out was not something that I enjoyed and um, wanting things to be stable and appreciating the things that brought Norma's character stability mm-hmm. because I cared about her. You know, and so things that are good for her are things that I enjoy, mm. you know. And so, um, and, and I realized through that, that the dog, when, when things get quiet during the cuddling, it gets very, it's like enjoyable. Yeah, you yeah, know?
3: yeah. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you two sort of developed some routines, I'll call them, in the show that make sense that for me when I've seen it, at least between oh, sure. a person and a dog. There's like consistency to how you go about going out to the park mm, or right. yeah. being put away for a cuddle session. It's always sort of the same. And I, I really.
2: Yes, that's true. And it was, I think it was a born a lot out of, you know, the technical needs to mm-hmm. a certain extent of keeping things moving, but it is also like how dogs work. She has a very specific like snap clap thing yeah. to get me to come yeah. out. And, and that works really well technically, but it's also like that you do repeated things for dogs. They right. like stability. That's so, right. Yeah.
1: It also really like shines a light on, just like i don't know for instance be, because you're a human being every moment that you're put away is it's very is even stronger cuz it's like if you were to put a human being away this way <laughs> that yeah. would be very strange yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> okay yeah. child
0: please go into your closet now <laughs> wait yeah, <exactly>. go <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and
2: I've always found that interesting about people's relationships with dogs, because I didn't grow up with dogs, I'm allergic to dogs, and that was something interesting about playing this character, Is I, yeah. I don't have a lot of experience with dogs, I got bit by a dog when I was a little kid, and that made me scared of dogs for a very long time, and um, so it was interesting approaching playing a dog, and um, I was lucky enough this summer, uh, my, the, the boss at the place I work got gotten a puppy like the same day I got hired, and the puppy was just there all the time, so I got to watch a dog kind of grow up, and got to play with that dog a lot, which was really cool. But, um, yeah, that was that was just one of those interesting – but, yeah, the way people put their dogs away – and people who, like, you know, are very – love their dogs and, like, are, you know, people who are, like, dog people still, like, have a very, like, strict hierarchy with their pets a lot of the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of, like, okay, it does what I tell it to do, and it goes away. Mm. or it shuts the fuck up or whatever when I say. And it's, and it's really interesting to me um, and something that's always been a little surprising sometimes when I see people with their dogs. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I and think Dominic
0: like, had something really interesting to say about that as well. Yeah, one, and this was another part of the play that really sort of came together when we started putting the whole thing together and working through transitions of, like, I had made the decision of, like, Ha- of having Clifton on stage and having Norma on stage for the entire play. Mm. And so then there was you know these moments of like where does he go? Where does it make sense for him to stay with her? Where mm-hmm. does it make sense for him to go with her? Um, we had a couple a couple of times early on where like he was gonna come to the coffee shop with her and like just sit outside and um, and sort of figuring that out. And once we sort of figured out where he was going to live and how he was going, how the two of them were going to interact in the space and sort of the logic of that. I feel like that relationship came together much stronger because before, like, we're working through scenes and we're like, oh, well, like... We know Clifton's in this scene, but he doesn't have any lines, so don't worry about coming to <laughs> rehearsal. Um, Oops. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then we're like, oh, oh, crap. Okay. Like, there's, yeah. I mean, there there was so much more right. for that. But, but the way the script is written, you can just sometimes forget about it. Um, mm. But at the same time, I could also see, like, if you had been there every day, I would have just been like, let's work you into all of these things and it may have been it may have been too much yeah and so i feel like we struck a really good balance of how much dog is in there and how much he interacts
2: yeah and like during rehearsal it felt like man i'm just gonna be sitting here forever you know what i mean and and that was mostly just because and once getting in the room and running it was like okay there's a flow to it and there is some more movement and i'm not there the whole time but i was really like worried i'm like am I really just sitting on these steps all the time? But look, it, it really doesn't add up to as much. And once it's in the flow of the show, it, it, it moved around. And that mm-hmm. was, it, it took getting into the space to really realize how it was going to function.
1: Yeah. What do you want people ultimately
3: to take away from this, the experience of this play? This is definitely one for you, Connery. You you don't
0: have any fe- what, what what well
3: what do I want I want people to take away being just blown away by my amazing dancing oh that makes sense <laughs> yeah. I, 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 success
0: I really do want people to uh, to go home and pick up a ribbon after the show because I feel like as m- the thing that I didn't realize until we started working with the ribbons was how it is as therapeutic as cuddling I believe like you just put on some good music or even some bad music or no music at all, but you just start twirling with a ribbon and you feel better. Yeah. I grew up in a church where we would have ribbons and oh, we would yeah. dance during it's worship. It's so joyful. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, but really, I mean, I think I would like people to uh, sort of reconsider their relationship with physical touch. Um, one of the things that is conspicuously missing from this play is technology. I think there's one person who has a phone um and i and i thought about two people uh there's
3: one person who
0: you see with a phone and then nora mentions that she has a flip phone that's (laughs) right so right (laughs) but it's interesting to sit with people for so long in this play and for sort of that technology which is such a part of our lives to not be there Mm -hmm. um and so you know really have people think about you know if we put this down and try and connect with people in a different way, um, instead of through a screen, and all—all all of this sounds very uh, hippie, All this <laughs> hippie shit, but um, but anyway, um, that there is there is something to be gained through, you know, instead of sending somebody an emoji, which you know, which is great if you can't be near them, but calling people like. Having a conversation with somebody is better than a text, in my opinion, and that being able to be with someone and hold their hand is better than that. And that the sort of physical intimacy that we pigeonhole into um, sort of sexual relationships doesn't have to be Um, that, you know it's perfectly fine to get a hug from a friend. It's perfectly fine to like ask for what you need when you are feeling lonely from, you know, the people in your life. Um, And that's, I think that's the big thing. It's like not being afraid when you're feeling alone or when you're um, struggling to ask the people around you for something that could help you. Um. yeah Yeah,
3: and I, I think that interestingly the dog really fits into that because in this play but also in real life people have pets they have dogs, they have cats, whatever and they cuddle with them they pet them, right? and that's obviously a completely platonic relationship right, with yeah. a different species and yet some of those same people get no or very little human to human platonic touch and that's kind of weird when you think about it Uh, that's so true yeah
2: yeah this this play definitely has had me thinking more about just how nice it is to lie with someone and Hmm. or hug someone yeah and um just that aspect of touch it had been on my mind over the past few months anyways and then sort of get to work on this show and really get to watch it and see it and think about it and um, it just made it all the better and the very few times I get to see my girlfriend when mm-hmm. <laughs> we during this process you just get to lie down and be exhausted together you know yeah. living two busy lives yeah. and just like being able to just lie down together and enjoy the fact that we don't have to move that's right but, you know
1: and I, I like what you said about essentially platonic touch because it's you know, we don't, it's not normalized in our society at all. And so it's almost like we're adverse. You know, if somebody, mm-hmm. if I'm going to touch you, it's almost mm-hmm. like, well, why are you touching me? <laughs> <Yeah>. You know? <laughs> and it's, it's such a weird space to be in because we're living in a time, like you say, where it's like touch is more important than ever. Mm. And it's also the time where we're more adverse to touch than ever. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's just, and we kind of, you know, pigeonhole ourselves into being um, stuck in and keeping touch in romantic relationships um but yeah so i i i appreciate this play for displaying um you know such a wonderful representation of how touch can transcend relationships it can transcend um you know romance and it's very clear about that and then the idea of the dog that's that's right on because it's that a dog gets all i'm so jealous of pets yeah right because pets get to like their whole life is just being touched and you know and um and cuddled mm-hmm. and all of that and so you know humans you know we deserve that as well we yeah do. we
2: do and i think and, and this does you know the fact that she is a professional cuddler you know i think normalizing the idea that the need for touch is something that's okay to provide for people you know under contract you know like it's something that people really do need and it's some things it's something that some people are really comfortable providing Mm -hmm. you know there are people who really are comfortable um you know sharing their bodies in whatever in whatever way with other people Mm -hmm. and um and are, are, are willing to do it for compensation and there's nothing wrong with um you know receiving compensation or giving compensation for work of that sort so absolutely, it was good to see that yeah great let's take a break radical listening is brought to you by coho productions come now to see found dog ribbon dance on stage Or their final show of their 24th season, B, running April 24th to May 16th. You can find Coho Productions at 2257 Northwest Raleigh Street in Portland. And you can
1: email us at coho at cohoproductions.org. And we're back. It's time for everyone's favorite part of the show, headlines. Headlines.
2: Headlines. (laughs) So
1: the idea here is we're going to read some headlines to you guys. And um, you can just give us your hot take. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Okay. Only the hottest of takes.
2: Um all right, so this is a story that I've heard
1: uh bandied about over the last
2: week. So, headline being um American Airlines threatened to arrest me, says woman whose seat was continuously punched by man sitting behind her. So, was I, that, that, you were going to say that's <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a good one.
1: Okay, so basically Let's get into it. Let's
2: get into it. Um Oh, my God. Her name is actually Wendy Williams, too. That's hilarious. It's not the Wendy Williams. Not the Wendy Williams, but okay. her name is Wendy Williams. It is a Wendy anyway, Williams. Anyway, so this woman, she um, reclined her seat, as you, do, as you do, on a plane. And the man behind her became upset and was punching the back of her seat. Right. Because uh, apparently he was in the last row where he couldn't he recline get his back. seat. Mm-hmm. But she did. And he was, like, punching her seat. And she took a video of it. And that's what American Airlines... Threatened to have her arrested for was not deleting the video of the man who was punching her seat once she got off the before she got off the plane. The airline attendants like that, yeah, they had asked her to repeat delete the video. Oh, um, yeah. So apparently, people are divided over this. Okay. Um, about whether you should be reclining your seat in front of people. I think. Well, anyways, I, I would I would. What What do you have to think about this? Yes.
3: So yeah, I've I've only recently heard about this whole reclining controversy not to do with this headline but in Mm -hmm. general um and i mean i hate flying as most people do Mm -hmm. and one of the only sweet reliefs of flight is when you get to recline your seat just that little bit that feels slightly more comfortable and yeah it is it sucks when you're in the back row and you can't do it but Mm -hmm. you know choose your seat earlier yeah i i i I definitely support everyone's right to recline Mm. Mm -hmm.
2: yes yes yes
0: I, I also support everybody's right to have a fucking conversation instead of just, like, passively aggressively <laughs> punching the back of somebody's I think that's seat. aggressively yeah. aggressive. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, I feel like aggressively would have been punching her. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> that is, it's, like, a, literally a barrier in between.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but, yeah, I feel I feel like the more ridiculous thing is American Airlines being like, oh, the optics of this is what's the problem. Yeah. Were they
2: the ones that had the dude dragged off the plane?
1: No. Or was that United? I think that was like United or something. Anyways, airlines not doing the
3: greatest these days. What what supposed crime has she committed by not deleting this video? That's what I want to know.
1: Right, yeah. She brought attention. She's bringing awareness to their
0: (laughs) horrible practice. I I will say this for anybody who isn't aware in the world right now. If you ask someone to delete a video, it's the best way to get something to go viral. Yes. (laughs) That's true. Or if
1: you say world star.
0: (laughs) That's right. World star. (laughs) Uh,
2: But uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, people should be able to recline. People should have more fucking space on their flights. Yeah. I mean, that's the airline cramming people it is. in there so tight that you get someone tall stuck in the back and he's not feeling good. He, he's going to start punching. And then, you know, and I'm not saying it's <laughs> and I'm not saying it's not his fault. I, I think it's abhorrent behavior. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we can figure this out another way. See if you can get moved and switched with a child. Or, I don't know something. But also, you know, take a little responsibility for yourself. If you're getting on a plane and checking early, mm-hmm. if you're tall, sit in the exit yeah. row. I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm short, so I don't have to, it's not as bad. I can't imagine being taller than 5'8", though, and <laughs> dealing with anything more.
1: And, you know, I mean, this, the seats, especially if you fly like Spirit, the seats are so awful now. Yeah. Mm. And they're like plastic, and they're thin or whatever. So it's like anything that you can get, you got to
3: take. Yeah, any any tiny bit of relief. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah,
1: you cannot, yeah. And then,
2: yeah, what are you not supposed to not recline? in front of the person in front of you, then no one in the whole plane can recline That's because right. so there is a back row. sitting like this. Uh, no, or, you know, give the back row three inches to recline too. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Take out one row. Take out one row. No, so, no, so, so
0: here's a hot take. What if we just had professional cuddlers in airports so that people could relax a little bit before they got on the plane?
2: <laughs> That's not a bad idea. No. They'd and be professional charged professional cuddlers they out would. there, though. That'd be $250 an hour.
3: <laughs> yeah, People really get the wrong idea. That's a gold member thing. <laughs> yep.
1: So I, it's funny because I looked into this and, uh, like, an expert weighed in. An Expert. Yeah. And so what they said Qualified is that out. airplane etiquette is that you only recline when necessary. And if you must recline, just put the seat back a little bit to get the comfort you need without encroaching too much with the person behind you. So.
2: I would say that Is
3: there unwritten <laughs> rules in airplanes? Are there Apparently. <laughs> I, was I mean there are there are some, right? So you if you're in a three person thing, you, you give the middle person both armrests. That's a thing. Is it? Mm. I think so. That's what yeah, I hear. And I certainly do idea. that. I I if I you're always, crammed in like that. Yeah. 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 I was sitting in the aisle because I've got one on your side. I can't yeah, take it, so guy. I take that one. They can have this one. The window person's got mm. that one. The middle person gets two. Like I one would one I first. really would have appreciated that on my last flight. <laughs> yeah, I think the problem with any of this supposed airplane etiquette is that you know maybe thirty percent of the people are following it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I mean, when I when I recline, and I I would argue that I need to recline, mm-hmm. or else I'm gonna leave that plane like hunched over. Yeah, you're a tall guy. Um, I d- yeah, I don't I don't go back all the way.
2: Mm-hmm. I
3: I do kind of just go back until I feel okay because I don't want to.
1: Yeah, I had a friend. Who taught me the best time to recline mm-hmm. is during takeoff? As soon as the
3: plane lifts,
1: you just kind of like, go like slowly. That. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: might not notice. No one yeah. knows. against the rules.
1: Against the rules, but. but yeah. But if you're trying to if you're trying to get a, a subtle recline in, oh, nice. with no one noticing. That's when you. I do used it. to
2: sneak my way back a little bit. of like ease into it. Yeah, ease little more. Ease little. Ease, ease a little.
3: Ease a little. Okay. Little okay yeah. yeah. This is where I want to be.
2: What I really appreciated recently. Well, appreciated is a strong word, but. Uh, the I've started to really use those like that winged thing behind your head. You yeah. can really squeeze that thing around there. Yeah, you can. And then you have like a little bit of, you know, it's it's, it's it makes a huge difference. It does. I remember my mom mentioned something about how the best way to sleep in a car you're always trying to like get comfortable like on your arm or lean against something but the best way to do is just be sitting like completely aligned and just kind of straight up and Mm -hmm. just get back as far as you can which is why I appreciate like reclining that's right but then if you can stabilize your head
1: then it's it's so much easier yeah I always find that planes are the perfect time to work on releasing your neck muscles (laughs) that's right just kind of just sit there and you're just like relax
0: I, I really think most headrests should come with elastic bands that you can just like pull over your forehead. Yeah, just, like, just secure your head, in place. keep you in place. That's good. I feel like that would yeah. that would cut down on like seventy five percent of neck injuries in the, yeah. in this country. <laughs> <laughs> great,
1: uh, great. All right, so let's move on to our next headline. Oh, this is going to be interesting. Okay, so here's the initial headline, and then we'll we'll get into it. We'll step through this. The first headline from 10, which is a website I imagine, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is kombucha slime is an edible solution to the world's plastic problem. Ooh, kombucha has taken the wellness world, the wellness world by storm, but its slimy byproduct may soon transform sustainability. Hey. And the packaging has all the benefits of plastic but none of the downsides. And though it may look unappealing, when it has served its purpose, the packaging can also be eaten. (laughs) All of this is true. true. We have a SCOBY expert in the house. So, as a SCOBY expert, what do you think about
2: this? Conry runs a a, a SCOBY business. Uh, He sells kombucha starter kits, Oregon Kombucha. Feel free to buy some starter kits online. And, uh, yeah. But anyways, yeah. Conry.
0: Yeah. No, there there was a woman, I think in Poland, who had her, like, doctoral thesis, and she the The whole process has been kept fairly under wraps, but it basically was able to create sort of reusable plastic bags right. from kombucha scobies. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, um, some other things like kombucha scobies are also what, um, like, some vegan leather is made out of. Mm. People can use it to like. Because basically you can grow it as thin or as thick as you want it and then do things with it. Um, I found out the first time I was doing research is that uh, there are people who have started making clothing out of it. And the interesting thing is that as it dries, it fuses together to make stitchless seams. Wow. Oh, um, cool. So it's like you can just sort of like. But then the question is, like, what happens when it rains? That's yeah. what I was about to ask yeah. you. Yeah. Terrifying. <laughs> what you, of just yeah. Like, what
2: do we know about this? Because I th- I feel like yeah scobies are very very strong and um and fibrous and they can dry out but like they're that, I think that's the the problem we have to fix if we're trying to make plastic is what you can't rehydrate it like how do you like cure it so it's like okay we've hardened it out it's not gonna grow <laughs> <Yeah>. anymore <laughs> I just
1: want to show you a picture of what that looks like
3: oh sure Is that oh, packaging yeah. mm-hmm.
1: oh oh wow so. So you, if, if it, you want to take a plastic bag home that looks like that, yeah, you know it's yeah yeah well you know
2: I think it, it, if if we can get over how something looks that's yeah. fine if it's if it smells like a scoby and gets all slimy and it gets wet you're gonna have a lot of problems selling it
0: to people yeah. but um yeah um but yeah a lot of people have talked about it um as like being able to replace like fruit packaging and things like that. Oh, that's wow. what it looked like to. too. It
2: was kind of like, it almost, the, the picture you showed us almost looked like those reusable, um, like beeswax covered yeah. things yeah. that you mm-hmm. would like twist things up in. That's like a plastic wrap alternative reusable. Yeah. Um, I couldn't see it working that way. As long as again, the smell and um yeah stickiness but yeah
0: people have been making uh sort of kombucha gummies or kombucha Mm -hmm. chews like probiotic Mm -hmm. a lot of times if you see things that are like probiotic gummy bears and things like that they'll oftentimes have some aspect of of that in there i was Um, working at a kombucha company where they were
2: making those and i i'll have to tell you though if you want to make those things edible, you have to put a lot of flavoring and sugar in them (laughs) to make them palatable at all so (laughs) edible is questionable you know (laughs) relative Um,
0: I mean, at some point we're going to be getting into, uh, you know, as as things progress in this world of like what what can we eat to survive versus what would we like to eat? Yeah, yeah. Um, bugs so. are going
2: to be uh, back on the menu, boys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> um, but but the few people that I know in theatrical experiences who have had the pleasure of biting into kombucha scoby. Have regretted it. Yeah. No, say yeah. that much. Was <laughs> yeah. that complex? Yeah, that was complex. <laughs> the guts and
2: complex were all scobies, and everyone thought it was meat, even close up. Yeah, I, I thought, thought it was really meat. Knew, it was so right? cool.
0: So <laughs>
1: cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, just so you know, uh, in in 2020, we'll be launching a vegan viscera where I'll be, uh, <laughs> any any uh, stage meat products you're looking for, uh, I'll be able to create those out of SCOBY for you. And
2: you can come see that now in Found Dog Ribbon Dance, mm-hmm. the piece of fish on stage. You would never know it, but no. that's a SCOBY too. Mm-hmm. Is that why you guys don't eat it?
3: Well, and my character doesn't like
1: fish. Oh, yeah.
2: true. <laughs> it's a good, good excuse.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Great. Uh, let's do some plugs. Okay. Is there anything you want to plug? Um, I definitely like to plug Cuddle up to me. Um, which is uh, sort of the the leader in the Northwest of uh, professional cuddling. Uh, Samantha Hess, uh, who runs it, who was our cuddling consultant, who started that business eight years ago, I think, mm-hmm. um, currently has a, a storefront uh, on Gleason in, uh, in North Portland. <laughs> currently has a storefront on Northeast Gleason. There we go. Um, but she's absolutely wonderful, and she has – uh, sort of created the standard of uh, both teaching professional cuddling and um, what sort I'm looking for sort Certi- of the certification process for professional cuddlers okay. uh, and she also wrote the book on it, which we have uh, in the lobby if you come see the show. Uh, it's available by donation. Uh, Samantha Hess's book Touch the Power of Human Connection um, talks about, uh, you know, why cuddling, why, why cuddling works and why it is uh, helpful. Hopefully we'll, uh, I don't know, solve all the world's problems, but definitely, uh, you know, can help you feel a little bit more relaxed and connected uh, to the world. Um, yeah. You can find more information about the book, um, her life uh, at uh, cuddleupto.me.com. to me dot com. I would uh, be
3: yelled at if I didn't, Mentioned Theater Vertigo's upcoming production of Everything You Touch by Sheila Callahan. Uh, Sheila Callahan. Yeah. That opens uh, February 28th and is a, I think it's a cool, somewhat disturbing play dealing with the world of fashion and mm, body image issues and all kinds of good stuff. So check that out if you can.
0: I definitely want to do a shout out. We talked a little bit about them. Oregon Kombucha, which is... uh, um for all of your uh kombucha uh home brewing needs um oregonkombucha.com um uh grown in the northwest packaged by hand by me and uh my partner Summer Abbott and sometimes uh in the past sometimes by Clifton Holtsnagle yeah, right. family some business packaging. yeah you got me
2: into the sco- you got me into the kombucha business of <laughs> the first of three kombucha jobs couldn't believe it <laughs> um
0: but yeah, it's it's uh you know if you're if you're interested in kombucha, what I can say is that you know if you start brewing it at home, you have so many more options of um, how it can taste and mm-hmm. um, the different ways uh, it can do, and make sure that you know exactly what's going into it. A lot of mm-hmm. uh, kombucha that is uh, in bottles, especially as it's becoming bigger, um, you know, it's there's less kombucha in it and more. Vinegar and fruit juice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people try and uh, – a lot of people believe that kombucha should be a soda alternative. And so a lot of the kombucha out there is brewed to Here's. be more like soda when, in fact, it's hmm. something completely different. And when you homebrew it, you can really experience the true kombucha. Hmm.
3: Uh, yeah. And I just want to say I I've been a customer of theirs, and I can report their starter kit is excellent, and you can brew some delicious stuff. Oh, that's yeah. good to know. Yeah,
1: I think we should also plug the Found Dog Ribbon Dance, um, which is running from February fourteenth to March seventh, right here at the Co host Space in Northwest Portland. Um, definitely come see it. I really enjoyed it, and these guys have been great, uh, sitting down and talking with them and meeting them and seeing their work yesterday. Definitely come see this show. I would like to also plug Pipeline at Portland Playhouse um which is my show which opens this weekend february 19th and runs to march 15th again that's at the portland playhouse uh definitely come see that that will be confrontation theater's last show so you know big celebration there um and that's it
2: and look forward to hearing them uh, next on the podcast which will be great um i also wanted to plug uh the clowns without borders uh fundraiser show at the Alberta Rose Theater. Clowns Without Borders is a great organization that takes clowning to um, areas that have been stricken by disaster or poverty and I have several friends who have gone uh, and traveled with Clowns Without Borders to take some beautiful shows around and they're doing a benefit show here um, at the Alberta Rose Theater on Saturday February 22nd. Uh, A 2 p.m. family show um, and an 8 p.m. show uh should be all ages for both of them, but slightly different acts for the evening show at the Alberta Rose Theater, 2 PM and 8 PM on Saturday, February 22nd. Um, yeah, I'll probably be at the two P.M. one seeing some friends perform. So that'll be cool. Um, yeah. Otherwise, come see this show. Yeah. Keep your eyes open for Coho Productions twenty-fifth anniversary season announcement coming soon. Um There's going to be one more play in their season, B, running from April 24th to May 16th. Um, But, yes, next season will be the 25th uh, season at Coho, and we should be hearing what plays we'll be seeing very soon.
1: Yeah. Thanks again, you guys, for coming and doing this
2: with us. Thank you. Thanks for
1: having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have a good one. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radical Listening. If you have questions or would like to reach out, Feel free to reach out to our email, which is Radical Listening at gmail.com or visit the Coho Theater website for more information. And thanks for listening.